that intro man that's awesome I love westerns by the way so um, this series kind of you know talk about the western kind of old old school western kind of look I guess to it so I just feel tough up here I wish I had like a little you know guns up here on my anyways anyway, this is I'm sorry I love the video I love the intro well done team in the back so that has nothing to do with remember my granny used to tell me stories about her outhouse that's just my grandmother so my my dad's mom that's my granny she used to tell me about her outhouse my other my mom's parents, my nanny and Paul, they would tell me about their outhouses, right? Just two generations ago. And my, my, my nanny would actually talk about her double seater, double seater outhouse, two seats. They thought they were high cotton because they had a two seater hole. I mean, think about this. This wasn't that long ago using their Sears and Roebuck to wipe and you complain about your two ply. Like seriously, this was life not that long ago. I think about 1800s. 1850s, 1860s, watch movies, things like that. Life back then, dude, was tough. I don't know. I mean, I always say like, I, I would love to live back then, but then I'm like, I don't, could I handle it? Could I hack it? I think I could be tough enough, but dude, life was tough. And let's think about, we haven't made. Dude, we don't think life is hard until our internet bandwidth <laughs> gets threatened and we can't watch streaming films in all four of our TV rooms. Like, whoa, something's going on, right? Life is going to end as we know it. Like, it's just a difference. Not bad or good, it's just true. And I'm not saying technology is bad and we should all go back to using outhouses. I'm simply saying that sometimes when life gets so easy and we just things just come to us, we maybe miss out on some things that other generations had to have. This idea of grit, the toughness, tough as nails, you know, like that kind of thing. It's like, oh, that's an old, that's back in, I don't know. What we're finding, it seems like, is it's still an important quality in the world in which we live. It's interesting. In that song, it really, it's not about a, the message necessarily, but we just, there's, there's words in that song. I just want to make sure we faithful you are, all your promises are yes and amen. What a powerful, great, like just chorus to kind of over and over chant, sing, praise God for his faithfulness. His promises are yes and amen. You know, it's talking about his promises, not my promises, not your promises, not the promises I'm wanting from God or the promises that I'm expecting from God, but it says that all of your promises, God, are yes and amen. Yes being if God says it, he will do it. You don't have to question God. He always does it. And then amen being it's done. It's a done deal. If God says he will do something, he will do something. Do you believe that? Or sometimes do we get our promises mixed up with God's promises? No, God, I wanted you to promise me this. And I want your yes and amen to be for that. It's not always the case. Again, this is why it's so important. is because oftentimes we either think we're struggling in our faith because we're suffering and we shouldn't, or we avoid it. And even teach others to avoid it. You should never have to suffer in the name of Christ. But maybe, just maybe, that's not really true. What we're going to look at this, this series is we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And uh, he spent over half of his life, about 33 years, spreading the gospel message. And there is nobody more successful 
probably in the history of the world, when it comes to faith in the Apostle Paul. Paul, Paul is a superstar, dude, rock star. Jesus is a little rock star. Pet, you know, teacher's pet, come on. This is the guy that everybody's like, oh, Paul, 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 right? Paul is awesome. He's amazing. He's the greatest of all time, and you think of it. And you would think if you're the greatest in the sense of all time, right, you would get some, you know, preferential superstar treatment, like the Jesus Rolex or something, you know, like the Caddy Chariot, like you get some smooth rides going down the bumpy roads, a jet, your personal car or something like that. You would get some something for being a rock star, right? Listen to how Paul describes some of the sufferings that he had while being an apostle. Far greater labors far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That's what Jesus received before he died. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and just to make sure everybody knows, this is not our current stoned. This is, they threw rocks at you until they tried to kill you stoned, okay? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, people danger, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Rockstar. Beyond LeBron James, Michael Jordan, when it comes to the Christian faith. No preferential treatment. This dude suffered, and that's just a taste of what he suffered. Are you kidding me? And sometimes I get a little offended when I might have to go without for a couple of days. But remember, this guy was following Jesus, right? So Jesus was the one he was kind of mimicking his life after. And when you think about Jesus, what did Jesus have to go through? Well, Jesus was mimicked, I mean, mocked his entire life, persecuted his entire life. Yeah, he had a following, but he had a lot of people who were out to get him so much that they killed him. They beat him almost to death before they literally nailed him to a wooden cross to hang there until he died. That's who Paul was following. And when you think about that, maybe that's why Paul was okay with the suffering. He endured for over 30 years. The Apostle Paul traveled over 10,000 miles before buses, modern transportation, cars, airplanes. Dude walked everywhere on ships in very dangerous settings. You heard what he said. Beaten every place he went to was somewhere he didn't know. He hadn't been before just about. Nobody knew him. And they were going to persecute him on the way in and the way out. And yet he went. He was beaten on the way. He was beaten on the way out. And he was beaten while he was there. And yet he kept going. That's grit. That's perseverance. We're going to look at the letter of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. This is the last letter of Paul that we know of that he wrote. And it's a very personal, very personal, dear letter to Timothy. So if you have a Bible, a Bible app, I encourage you to open it up, chapter 1. Um, and really, this, this month, I encourage you, everybody, I challenge you to read 2 Timothy over and over, at least once a week, go through the entire chapter. It's four chapters. So, I mean, you can read one a day or two a day and read it twice each week. Become familiar with what Paul is saying. Because what does Paul say to Timmy when Paul, after 30, almost 36 years of serving Christ in all these settings, he is now once again in prison, awaiting his execution from the Emperor Nero. Literally, a few months after he writes this letter is when he was executed by the Emperor Nero. So he knows what's about to happen to him. What would he write to Timmy? How does he prepare Timmy 
to, to go on after he's gone. It's pretty amazing what we're going to find in here. Our big idea, this is where it starts out with, is uh, true grit is required to follow Jesus, but it's worth it. True grit is required to follow Jesus, but it's worth it. If you're searching, maybe you're online with us or in person today, and you're like searching, and this whole Jesus thing, not sure where you are with it, I, I, I'm glad that you're here, but also I want you to know this is part of the reason why we're, we're making sure we touch on this, just because I don't know what you've been taught or heard about Jesus. Maybe you've been told, like, yeah, hey, give your life to Jesus, and everything's rainbows and ponies. I don't know. We want you to know the truth so you can make an honest decision about what you want to do with your life and whether you want to follow Jesus Christ and Christians in the room or online. We want to make sure you either know or are reminded that being a Christian ain't easy. It's never meant to be easy. It's hard, and it's probably only going to get harder. Are you willing to be a believer, a follower of Christ, knowing that? Are we willing to be followers and believers and disciples of Christ, knowing that true grit is required? So chapter 1, verse 1 through two is where we're going to start. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, uh, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He starts off by reminding Timothy that this was all God's plan. Like Paul didn't have this plan. Next week we're going to talk about how really it wasn't Paul's plan and how he got into this. But he reminds him that this was God's plan. I'm an apostle. I'm accountable. I'm responsible to God. So this is what God is doing. And then he also talks about Timmy. He calls him his beloved, dear child. This is not his biological child. It's like a spiritual child. He's like a mentor to Timmy. And so he's, he's responsible for Tim. He's responsible to God for Tim. And then he reminds him of the hope that he has in the Lord Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is Lord. The hope that he has. So he reminds Tim of these three important things. In his book, author and uh, Professor Mark Moore, the book's called Core 52. Um, in the book, he talks about these two things. If you want to gain grit, because grit doesn't just come, you have to develop grit. If you really want to gain grit, here's two things that you need to do. Um, one, you need to, be, you need to think about, look around to who you are responsible to and who you are responsible for. So look around to see who you're responsible to and for. And then secondly, uh, look ahead at the reward that you will receive if you persevere. So if you continue in this journey, what is the hope that you look to uh, receive at the end if you persevere and are, and are, are obedient? So if you moved out west back in the day, you're hoping to have a homestead, a little plot of land where you can grow some vegetables and grow a family, right? You were hoping to have that one day. So Paul says, these are so important. This is true for us today. This is so important. Uh, look around to others and look ahead. Because in our culture, what I've noticed, or what well, all of us have noticed is this. Have you seen you know, people make a small mistake? They spill their coffee. They slip on a sidewalk that's a little icy, right? Uh, they weren't completely paying attention and they slip and fall. What happens? We blame. No one takes personal responsibility. It seems like very few people take personal responsibility, and it's a culture of blame. We have commercials all the time, attorneys, lawyers, that can make much money as you can off of whatever happens, right? Uh, schools are the reason why our kids can't learn. Uh, our bosses are the reason why employees can't work, so on and so forth. Listen, I'm not asking for ex- like zero accountability in the workplace or leaders, but however, the pendulum seems to have so- swung sometimes, and don't it, doesn't it seem like we're a culture of blame? We seem to blame more than take responsibility. And that seems to have slept or kind of snuck into the Christian faith at times, the Christian families. 
You know, sometimes it's, it's the Christian families, the Christians, we were called to be obedient, live obedient lives, and yet sometimes we expect others to care for our kids and raise our families. So in other words, sometimes we expect the church to teach our kids about Jesus. We expect the schools to teach them about sex and morality. We expect the, our bosses to teach them about, their employers to teach them about ethics and integrity in the workplace and things like that. But those were always from the beginning part of our culture, our Christian community. We were responsible for that. And Paul is simply saying, listen, Tim, don't shirk away from responsibility, except under Understand the responsibility that you've given and understand it and then be accountable to it. So right now, here's a little exercise you can do at home or in person right here. Take your phone out or a piece of paper, pencil, something like that. You're going to make a note, okay? I want you to make three lists. Three lists, okay? The first list is this. Who, whom are you responsible to? Who are you responsible to? Maybe a boss, an employer, a spouse. Maybe if you're a kid, you have parents. Who else? Who are you responsible to? Write a list of all the people that you can think of that you are responsible to. And then secondly, make another list. Who are you responsible for? Maybe you're the boss and you have employees or you're a supervisor and you have those that you, you, know, you're, that you, you take care of, you supervise. Uh, maybe you're a teacher, you have students, parents, you have kids. Maybe you're friends. Uh, who are you responsible for? The people that you, that you have influence in that you should help, mentor, develop, encourage. Make those two lists. And then finally, make a third list. What is it that you hope to receive? What is the reward that you are hoping to receive in the future if you persevere? Are you hoping to, you know, have your kids grow up? Are you hoping to have your kids get an education, get a career, get married? Are you hoping to get this job, to get this bank account? I don't know, whatever, right? All the things that you're hoping. And then look through your list. Is there anything in your list that this world cannot provide? Is there a hope that you have that is beyond what you can get in this life. How often do we think about heaven? How often do we talk about heaven? Do we pray about? Do we ever, like is, if that's our hope, do we actually re rearrange our lives and our, and our calendars and our actions around heaven? Like if that's my, that's my reward, that's what I'm going after, then what do I do to make sure that that's, my, that's the reward that I'm going to get after being persevering or persevering. Again, we don't think about this all the time. We just live life and do what we do. Three things that you can begin, three lists that you can make that can begin helping you grow grit because grit doesn't just come naturally. You got to develop it. Let's talk about Tim for just one second. We don't exactly know how old Tim was. Most believe he was probably between 16 and 20 when the Apostle Paul went on his first missionary journey, met his mom and his grandmother. His mom and grandmother, we know, were Jews, and they began to be followers of Jesus Christ after Paul um, launched the church there. And then um, four years later, Paul goes back on his second missionary journey, and um, he meets their family once again, spends time with them. And by this time, Tim is a believer as well, and he is, like, highly regarded among the church. Like, they talked highly about Tim, this believer in Christ, so much so that Paul then takes this young person, maybe 20 years old, on his missionary trips with him to be his partner in the ministry. And so then after 10 or 15 years of faithful service, Tim, with Paul to all these other churches... Now Paul is writing this letter, sitting in a prison cell, awaiting his execution to Timmy, his beloved son. I thank God, this is verse 3 through 5, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, calling your, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Again, see how personal this letter is? 
I mean, he obviously had a special relationship with Tim and with the family. And Tim had a special family. Moms, grandparents, remember, you are the ones who have the most influence in your family, in your kids' and kids' kids' lives. Don't let anyone else tell you anything else. You are the people who have the most influence in your children's lives. Never give up on them. Never stop pursuing them. Never stop loving them. Never stop sharing the gospel with them. Fight hard for your children. Give them the grace of God. Let them find the grace of God. A clear conscience. Paul says, I'm with, I'm gonna have a clear conscience. There are often there are a lot of people who are saying negative things about Paul. He's in prison all the time. You see, he's being punished for the bad things that he's doing. And Paul says, Listen, I have no I have a clear conscience. Timothy, you know, you know my life, you know what I've done. I'm not being punished for what I've done, I'm being punished for the gospel. So I have a clear conscience. So you can have a clear conscience. And he recalls this special relationship that he had with Tim and Tim had with his family. It's just a very personal letter. Then he goes on, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, he has saved us, and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And this of this gospel, I was appointed as a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. A lot here. But notice he says, don't be ashamed. Sharing the suffering. Remember the context here. Paul's in a prison. Paul's in prison and about to be executed. He knows Tim knows this. So if all the times in your life when you're thinking, I mean, surely I can coddle someone. I can make them feel good. I want to make, I want to encourage them. And like, you know, let them lower the standards just a little bit so that this kid, poor kid, he's about to lose his mentor. Paul's about to lose his life. He says, don't be ashamed. And don't you dare quit. Matter of fact, he says, share in the suffering. Share in the suffering, Tim. In this short letter, only four chapters in our context, right? He mentions either enduring, suffering, or be strong 11 times. 11 times in this short letter. His final words that we know of to Tim, his beloved son. And he says, share in the suffering. Parents, generation, again, don't we try to remove suffering? Don't we want to make it easy? Possibly, we're not helping when we do that every time because true grit is required. There's, there's toughness. There's endurance and perseverance that's required to be a disciple of Christ. So again, maybe that's what Jesus said earlier, count the cost. Count the cost. We're going to be willing to give up a lot, but you're going to get even more. It's pretty powerful. Um, Oh, here's a tip to grow. <laughs> I want to make sure I share this before I go on. Set and communicate high expectations. Set and communicate. Hey, in our generation um, of, of like just accommodation, right, and like blame and like lowering standards sometimes, set and communicate high expectations. Paul doesn't coddle Tim. He says, hey, buddy, keep going. Toughen up. Like share in the suffering. It's worth it. That's crazy. And in our society, we need people that will push us beyond our comfort zone, push us beyond our limitations, push us beyond what we want to do, our comfortabilities. 
Not being a jerk. I'm not talking about the coach that's berating little kids. I'm talking about in our faith. Someone who's going to hold you accountable, hold me accountable, push me beyond what I really was okay with doing. Push us. Set high expectations. That's what the gospel brings, high expectations. Um, we, we joke sometimes about the generation, right? Like everybody gets a trophy participating kind of thing. Listen, I'm not speaking for or against that, but sometimes we do lower our standards. And even in the church, it's kind of come in. Like sometimes we, we, we expect to get trophies and high fives for just coming to church or just opening up a Bible one time, right? And again, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just being honest. Like is there an expectation within the Christians, within Christians of obedience? Are we okay with just being close enough? I mean, like, ah, do you really want to get rid of all the sin in your life? Or are we okay with just close enough? I mean, I'm so much better than everybody else. Ah, surely, that's not a big one. It's only every once in a while. Like, I mean, it begins to seep in there. Like, we lower the expectations, and yet Christ never once lowered them. Paul never once lowered them. He set the expectations high have sometimes our expectations become so low that they've actually been excuses for disobedience? It's a question that you can ask. I know I've experienced that in my life. Paul tells Timmy, hey, high expectations because we serve one who set the bar high. Jesus was amazing. He was. So set the bar high. Have people in your life that set the bar high especially when it comes to your Christian faith. Verse 12, that is why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is, no cause, this is no cause for shame because I know whom I believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Real quick, are you convinced? Are you convinced in what the future holds? Are you convinced? Paul says he is convinced because of whom he knows. He knows Jesus. Because he knows Jesus, he is convinced. So therefore he suffers. You see the, the way that that works? I don't, suffer, I don't suffer to understand. I suffer because I know Jesus and therefore I'm convinced. And because I am convinced, I can suffer. Maybe you're not suffering. Maybe you're not willing to suffer because we're not convinced. Do you really believe Jesus is who he says he is? I mean, do you really not just acknowledge that said it, but do you, do you believe it? Are you convinced that he is coming and that we are responsible to him? on that day when he comes back. And because of that, if you're convinced of it, that's the day we're preparing for. That's when our reward is gonna happen. And so that is the day that we are preparing for and therefore I can suffer today. Because today is not my promise, tomorrow is. That day in the future. 14, 13. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. And that verse, that's so powerful. Paul, remember the rock star of faith, the apostle Paul. Paul, like, dude, you can't get any better than Paul. What does he say? Follow my pattern. If there's anyone in the world that could have gotten away with a few bad days and like lower the expectation just a little bit, like, okay, Paul, you, don't, you do so much good. It's okay if you don't do that. Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm just as responsible as you are to be obedient to every word of Jesus Christ. And he says that and believes it so much that he even says, follow my pattern, follow my life, look at my life and you will see that I am obedient. Do we live lives like that? Do we even desire to live a life that I can say, hey, follow me, watch me. Not, hey, watch me until I'm in the car, okay? <laughs> watch me until rush time traffic. Watch me until I get into work. Watch me until, right? Paul says, watch me. 
follow my pattern. Look at my life. Not that he's perfect, not that he's better than us. He's just saying he wants, he's obedient. He knows that he's responsible to God and so therefore he wants to live an obedient life. Do we live like that? Because he is convinced he lives an obedient life, God has called us to obedience. How does he do that? Verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesephorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that day, grant he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how, in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. A lot to unpack here. In Asia, everybody turned away from Paul. Everybody except for, you know, Onesiphorus. What's the difference between Onesiphorus and Paul and the rest of them? The Holy Spirit. Guard the deposit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how. It's the means by which we can be faithful. It's the means, the way by which we can be obedient. Did you recognize or did you know that you are not capable of being obedient to God? on your own, like you can't. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit, so that if we follow the Spirit, we will be obedient. But when we follow Mark, I go away from God. When I follow the Spirit, I'm with God. Do you believe that? Like without the Holy Spirit, you are incapable of being obedient to Christ? What, if, what would our lives look like if we truly believed that? Let me give you a couple of examples. You know, I've seen this in my lifetime. It's happened in my own lifetime. You know, like maybe you get, somebody cheats on you or somebody dumps you, or you lose the love of your life, whether in high school, middle school, or you're 40, 30, 40 you know, years old, whatever. Sometimes people turn to their diet or to exercise, right, to, to win someone else, to, to kind of feel self-worth again. Sometimes it's in friendships, and so I want friendships. I want people to kind of, you know, like me, just to accept me. And so sometimes we're willing to listen to what they listen, become kind of like them so I can get what I'm thinking I need. Or we think grades is the way in which, or the career is the way in which, or the bank account is the way in which that we receive. And so because we want something, we obey something. We do something so that our reward, we will receive this, right? And so we obey this, whatever it is. What if the, the greatest thing of value for me was to be more like Jesus? What if I wanted to be like Jesus? Paul says it's the Holy Spirit. So many times that's not the most important thing to us. It's not Jesus being more like Jesus. It's these other things. And if I can get these other things, then Jesus will feel better. But Paul says, listen, the only way that you can be more and more like Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And if that were true, then that means that we would obey it more. I would want to read the Bible to understand it more. I would want to obey it more. I would want to understand it more. I would want to live by it more. I would begin to arrange my life around it. And the it is the Holy Spirit. Do you intimately know and protect and guard the Holy Spirit? Here's a couple of ways I want to get very practical that you can help. Some tips to grow grit. Because remember, average doesn't grow grit. Average doesn't, it's just not going to happen. You've got to develop it. One of them is this, accept delayed gratification. Accept delayed gratification. So important in our culture because we get everything we want when we want it. 
It's just, it's just, it's not a bad thing. It's just a true thing. You don't have to wait really for anything. And as soon as you have to wait in line at Walmart for five minutes, what do you do? You lose your ever loving mind, right? We go crazy when there's a line at the gas station. I want to find the, the shortest line and I'll spend five minutes to find the shortest line, right? Because we don't like to wait. Waiting is horrific for us. Can you go two to four weeks without buying anything that you don't need? Could you go four, four weeks without buying anything that you really truly don't need? We just, it's tough for us. It's not a bad thing, it's just true. Delayed gratification. Good things come to those who wait, and yet we don't like to wait. And then because of that, then we turn that over into faith and with God. If we have to wait, God, I want to get married. God, I want this job. God, I want to get out of this job. And when I have to wait, we begin to think, we get offended, just like in real life. Or we start thinking maybe God doesn't like us or God's distant from us because we aren't comfortable with waiting. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one that we follow, right? Jesus, the very night before he was crucified, the last prayer that we know is kind of recorded right before he's about to be beaten and then hung on a cross. Listen to what he says. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. It's insane. He knows exactly what's about to happen to him. Beaten, nailed to a cross, extreme excruciating pain. And he says, God, I don't want this. I don't want this. But he was willing to accept delayed gratification. Give up something now for something better then. Two habits that will help you develop delayed gratification. Two habits that all Christians should be developing over and over, constantly in our lives. Fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. Prayer is waiting with God. Waiting. Before you jump into the next exercise, class, uh, course, job, before you jump into the next whatever, like just wait. Wait with God for a few weeks before you make any big decisions, before you make that next purchase. Can you just wait? Learn to wait with God, to just sit there in prayer with him and, and give him your request and tell him what you're thinking and what you're worried about and what you're afraid of and what you're excited about, and then just wait. See what he has. Just wait. Prayer is waiting with God. All of us need to develop a bulletproof devotional life where every day we're just waiting with God, opening up his word, and then just talking to him, sitting there with him, waiting with God. And then fasting is where you take out something from your life for a short period of time to, to focus and to grow closer to God so you can, more under, you can more accurately understand and hear him. Get rid of all the noise in your life so you can hear God more. Don't eat food for a day or so. And then instead of those three to four times when you're eating, Implement prayer and, and, and study of God's word. Or take out social media from your life for two to three days. And all the time that you would have spent there, spend time studying God's word and praying. Journaling, this is like writing your prayers to God. Like, are we willing? See, we can begin to wait. Give up something now for the hope of something better later. Develop delayed gratification in our lives and it will develop grit. Parents, do this for yourselves before you institute it to your kids. And once they see it in your life, then help them institute it in their lives. All of us institute this in your life so we can develop grit. That last verse that Timothy said, or Paul said to Tim, in verse 18, he said, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. On that day, no, he said on that day, not today, on that day, that day, that day when Jesus comes back, that day, that's the day that we're looking towards, that's the day that we're working towards, that's the day that is, makes it worth suffering today. 
That's the day that makes it worth enduring and being obedient today because of that day. Are you convinced of that day? Again, our big idea, true grit is required to follow Jesus, but it's worth it. It's worth it because of that day. That day when he comes back, there is a a modern, more modern Western movie. It's called Open Range. I don't know if you saw it. Kevin Costner. Pretty cool, I thought. Anyways, um, there's a character in it, Charlie Waite, the guy who Kevin Costner plays. And he has this quote, and he says, well, you may not know this, but there's things that gnaw at a man worse than dying. There's things that gnaw at a man worse than dying. Of course, he's referring to his past decisions that he's made that he regrets, and it's just gnawing, eating away at him. What's gnawing at you? It's gnawing at us. There are things worse than dying that gnaw at us, isn't there? We were, we, were, we were going in that direction towards God. We knew it was the right thing we were going, but then it got tough. It got hard. Sickness came in. People made fun of us. I don't know, whatever. It got difficult. And so then we stopped. And then what we realize is then later, regret begins to gnaw at us. The what ifs begin to gnaw at us and eat away at us. On that day, Paul says, here's something that will not gnaw at you, eat away at you. It will provide hope to you. So much hope that you can be convinced so that today the suffering is worth it. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know that God has a plan for each one of us. And just because you're suffering doesn't mean he's distant. If you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time or you want to find this life that doesn't gnaw away at you, please text us, email us your name. Info will be on the screen. Works for you here in person or online. Online, you click one of those links to let us know and we want to communicate, pray with you in person. Meet one of my friends in the lobby by the point, by the main entrance on your way out after this service. I just want to pray with you, help you take whatever next step that is. Maybe it's today, give your life to Christ and, and be baptized. Or as soon as possible, or prepare you for it at home. There's things worse than dying that gnaw at you. Understanding who we're responsible to and for and looking forward to the reward Those are things that will develop true grit, and that's what the church needs, true grit. I'm going to say a prayer, and during this prayer, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ, God is listening. So maybe pray alongside with me, wherever you may be. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. And Jesus, thank you so much for your example, for your sacrifice, for showing us exactly what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And so right now in this moment, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to convict convict each and every one of us, whether it's online or in person. Convict me of what it is that you're teaching me today. God, uh, point out in my life if there's way, way, places where I'm not willing to suffer, where I've, I've just, I want it the easy way. God, if there's people that are listening that have never said yes to Jesus, that I, I pray that they begin to see that you are worth it, man. You are worth it. There's nothing else in this world that's worth it, but you are worth it and will not eat and gnaw away at us. So I pray today every single one of us would leave convinced that you are worth it and that we would live these obedient lives so that the world around us would see this gospel, which is so powerful, and want to choose to follow Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.